Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. All right, good morning. So for those who don't know, my name is Craig Garbison, and that's another wonderful welcome. I'm really excited to be here and uh, looking forward to this this opportunity to get to share this message with you all. So uh, it's great to be a part of this Lent season and this series titled These 40 Days. Uh, So if you've been here for a little while, you know we've been talking about Matthew uh, and particularly the Beatitudes. If you're just joining us today, welcome. Embrace yourself. Uh, for those who may not know, the Beatitudes are, directly, are a series of blessings directly from Jesus during his Sermon on the Mount. Well, them bright lights are bright, aren't they? <clears throat> so I said brace yourself because some of the recurring themes and, and terms that have been used during this series are words like unsettling or challenge or wrestle with. And because they were so countercultural, During Jesus' ministry, as well as our time today, uh, there's a lot of people that can wrestle with them. Matthew 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So under normal circumstances, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You're blessed if you're struggling. Blessed if you're suffering. So Jesus obviously wasn't a fan of keeping up with the status quo. Uh, And what he was teaching seemed radically different than what the people of his time and even ours were accustomed to. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to say that one more time. Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So does anyone other than me wrestle with that verse? So perfect, entirely without flaws or defects. It's one of those words that can weigh us down. Some of us hear that and we immediately begin to think of all the ways we've failed and all the things that we've done wrong. Others may hear it and think of the never-ending list of things that we may have to do to be perfect. Or maybe some of us hear it and think it's so unattainable, why even bother, right? Or in my case, I think about just how sinful my life was before I came to Jesus, that any kind of improvement is going to be good, right? Uh, And and I believe perfection may be possible for some of y'all, but just maybe not for me. And that's really the, the initial thoughts that come to my mind. So I have a confession to make. I started working on this message about five weeks ago, and it's really kicked my tail. Uh, Pastor Jeremy kind of brought something up that may be 
uh, part of the challenge that I hadn't even really considered was that uh, I was asked to present a message on a specific a verse or in part of a series, and it wasn't just something that I immediately said, oh, this was what's on my heart or on my mind or what my spirit is telling me to talk about, right? So that may be part of the challenge. But as I was revising it again yesterday, uh, I just had to set it down and just say, that's it, and, and just spend like 30 minutes in prayer. It was really, really challenging for me. Because I know I have some gifts and some talents, and I get up in front of a group of people, and I love this. This is exciting for me, right? I get energized by your guys' energy. But I couldn't, I couldn't make, this, this just wasn't fitting. It wasn't working. So what I realized in, amidst the praying, <laughs> it finally hit me. Uh, this was my first time preaching, now, I've shared a lot all around. I've shared a lot. This is my first time preaching. And so I wanted everything to be perfect. Right? I mean, I wanted, I wanted to use all the right references. I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to, to memorize my entire sermons. Right? So I didn't have to look at notes. And I really wanted it to look like I had been doing this my whole life. First time out the gate. So, once I realized that I was in the way, things changed immediately. They kind of, they just came together. Simple, authentic, and point to Jesus. Can't go wrong there, right? I was even wrestling with, what am I going to wear? And am I even going to wear my hat? But simple, authentic, and point to Jesus. So I'm going to be authentically Craig, and then I'm going to present what was presented to me. So being authentic, the Lord has not called me to preach yet. I mean, if he does, I'm obviously going to say, okay, and go a different direction. Uh, but as of now, he's just called me to counsel people. Uh, now, I have been working through the Church of the Nazarene course of studies, and I'm a licensed district minister here, so you're not just getting somebody off the streets, right, coming up here to preach to you and, and confuse you, at least I hope. <clears throat> but in that same regard, in being authentic, I haven't memorized all the Bible verses or even a whole lot of them. There are some that resonate with me, that sit with me, but I haven't memorized a bunch of them. I don't know um, all the, the different languages and the different uh, references that a lot of pastors use for different versions of the Bible and different languages and, and different terms. I don't know all those. What I do know is that I love Jesus and he loves us. So, uh, and I experienced firsthand what Jesus was talking about in Luke 15, 4 through 7. I had to look to make sure I got the reference right. Uh, when, when Jesus talked about a shepherd leaving their flock of 99 to go look for the one lost sheep, right? That was my experience. Uh, and, and I'm grateful 
that his perfect love wasn't something I had to earn. I didn't have to, didn't have to do anything to get it. So as I've been saturating in this verse of Matthew 5, 48, context kept surfacing. So when I was reading Matthew 5, 48 by itself, it seemed almost unrealistic. When I was thinking about being entirely without flaws, I viewed the verse almost like a setup for failure. I imagined that that verse being intended... For those of you who may have grown up in the church your whole life as being the only ones who could have possibly come close to getting that one right. It had to be for y'all, not me. Uh, but then context came into play. So right before Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, verse 2 says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Matthew 9, verse 12 says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Why would Jesus give a commandment to the masses at the Sermon on the Mount as a setup for failure? He wouldn't. He absolutely wouldn't. He wants us to succeed so much in our relationship with God that Jesus willingly sacrificed himself that we could have eternal life. So there was a setup, but it wasn't for failure. Matthew 5, 48 is the last verse in chapter 5, which is normally considered a conclusion. So generally speaking, at the end of a speech or a presentation, it's what, most, it's what might, may sit with most folks, right? Um, there's a good chance some of you have already forgotten my introduction. <laughs> so... But my conclusion, however, may stick with you for a little longer. So as a verse intending to be a conclusion, it holds a lot of power. And it would be, it would be the culmination as to what has happened or what has been said or what has been shared up until that point. It's the, the, folk, the focus point of the medium that has been presented, right? The conclusion would basically be a way of summing up or wrapping up all that has been written or said and a way of just driving it home. So in that context, Matthew 5.48 is the wrapping up of the last section of Matthew chapter 5, which is about uh, love for enemies, and then ultimately the entire chapter. So looking at just the last section, it's about love our enemies. Jesus calls us not to just love our neighbors, but to love our enemies as well. I like how Jesus makes it clear uh, that the Father in heaven sends the sun and rains to the good and the evil. Right? Uh, and then he basically says, well, even pagans can love those who love them or greet people that they already know. Anyone can do well, this jumps out to me as also another way of Jesus calling us to be a holy people or set apart from others, right? Anyone can do the simple stuff, uh, but we're asked to do the not-so-simple stuff, uh, kind of like what our Heavenly Father did, right? Uh, you may ask, what did God do that wasn't so simple? I mean, after all, He is God, so isn't everything He does simple? Uh, I'd have to say there are a handful of things uh, that God has had to do that probably wasn't so simple. 
sending Jesus to die on the cross for us? That couldn't have been simple. Loving all humans, including the evil ones, probably couldn't be so simple. And letting us suffer at times. God created us in his likeness with the intention of union and relationship with him. And then Adam and Eve decided to mix it up a little bit and things went a little sideways. His perfect design didn't include suffering, but once sin entered the world, things got a little ugly. Uh, So one of the things I love most about God today, it was his choice to give us free will along with provenient grace. So provenient grace is basically what God places in each one of our will that can draw us close to him if we choose to. He doesn't force us to, right? It's a, it's a choice that we get to make. So I've always wrestled against the idea uh, of God being this puppet master in the sky that just makes us do whatever he wants us to do. That just doesn't really seem attractive. And it doesn't sound like anything that I've read in the Bible thus far. And I'm going to keep coming around because uh, somebody may have something different to offer. But for me, I just I don't read that or see that. But however, with that same freedom of choice, that same free will to choose whether I want to love God or not, uh, there's also this other thing that comes along with that is if he's not the big puppet master in the sky making us do stuff, he's probably also not the big puppet master in the sky intervening all over the place every time there's some suffering or some challenges or some difficulties that we may have. So it's kind of like, you know, a double-edged sword. The benefit of the one, of the choice, also means we just may have to live with some of the consequences. Now, now I also believe that God will intervene, can intervene, does intervene, but not without us asking. Uh, although provenient grace says he, it is still there. So, but, I, but I believe that I have to ask. And I believe that in, the, in petitioning for prayer, I pray all the time for what I hope the outcome of God's will may be, but then I follow that up with, however, may your will be done. And please give me some acceptance with what your will may be, right? Because that's also another hard part to swallow is, man, why did this happen? So a few weeks ago, Pastor Christie talked about the word prickly, and that sometimes People can get in their feelings a little bit and, or maybe get a little offended from time to time and they can be a little prickly. She also went on to say that if that's happening, that's okay. That may be uh, God just saying to you, hey, let me do some work in you, right? Um, so parts of my story are prickly and parts may be uncomfortable to hear. Uh, and in thinking about this section, love our enemies, there's really only one person I think of that comes to mind that I could even consider as an enemy. So to keep from getting bogged down in, in, uh, in all the details, I'm going to give a very abridged version of my story. Very shortened. When I was four or five years old, I was molested by an older kid. Uh, and he told me two things I can remember. He said, don't this feel good and don't tell. 
And so from that point, I spent the rest of my life chasing whatever I thought may have felt good and living in secrets. I look back and see how the attention he gave me along with the lies that he told me set me down a destructive path that included inappropriate sexual behaviors, the shame associated with it, and eventually led me to using drugs as an escape to escape the feelings and shame and the loneliness that came from the place where I was at. So even though I had friends and family around, uh, the loneliness from living in secrets meant that no one knew just how broken I was on the inside. I could put on this front on the outside, but inside I was dying. And although I always convinced myself and others that I was having a good time, the truth was I was miserable and couldn't stop. I couldn't stop living the, the lifestyle that I was living. And actually, the way that I had lived became so ingrained as a part of who I was that I really didn't even think there was something to stop. Um, and, and then the shell of the person that I had became was not only evident to, didn't not only become evident to me, but it was evident to all those people around me. I think back, man, that kid all those years ago really played a big role in messing up my life. So he would be the only person I would think I could have labeled as an enemy. His impact not only caused me harm, but it set me on a path of destruction that affected a lot of, their, a lot of other people too. But if I'm looking at this in regards to this section of love our enemies, I have to do something different. So I think of the ways I harmed others, especially one particular family member, and my heart hurts. I don't look back at those things and and, am like, man, you know, that that was good or that was fun or any of that stuff. My heart hurts. Now, I, I I, I don't know that I say I regret as much anymore today because all those things have played a part in in me becoming the man I am today, but it still hurts, right? Um, But I can only imagine how he feels about the harm he caused. Uh, But more importantly, I think about maybe the harm that was done to him to set him on that destructive path, right? That's, That's doing something different. I'm so grateful God sends the sun and the rain to the evil people and the good people too, especially while I was one of those evil people. You know, I'm really grateful he never stopped looking for me during all of that. Uh, And I did, I forgave that guy several years ago, and I just hope he can forgive himself. So what about this, what about this verse as the conclusion of Matthew chapter 5, the whole chapter? How does this one sentence about being perfect wrap up an entire chapter that lists the Beatitudes, talks about salt and light, talks about uh, the fulfillment of the law, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, and love your enemy? Great question. Glad you guys asked. The verses preceding chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus reworked and reinterpreted traditional Jewish law, showing them that following the letter of the law wasn't as important, and and that if that's all they were trying to do, they were missing the point. It was more about the spirit of the law. 
<clears throat> and and it was more about uh, care, uh, the heart of the law, caring for the oppressed, being people of integrity, living lives that embodied the Beatitudes. Jesus is showing them that the way to righteousness and holiness is to be focused on what kind of people they're called to be rather than just focusing on a boundaries list. So Jesus says for us to be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, as he's talking about loving our enemies, which sounds like he is telling us being perfect is about love. So 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And a couple verses later, in uh, verse 18, it says, perfect love drives out fear. So if I'm trying to live in relation with God and God is in my heart, then I must be loving others. And when I think about the way I used to live and treat others, and then I think about how God still loved me, I get humbled. I don't always get it right. Matter of fact, this last week, or maybe it was this past week, I had a situation that happened at work, and I had a whole lot of stuff going wrong at the same time. And I had, uh, there were people involved, too, because they weren't acting right either. Uh, and, and, and there was just all these things happening at the same time. And, th and then I responded poorly. Uh, I, I lashed out. I even told one guy, just shut up. I, could, I was not communicating very well, just so you know. Um, you know, and it got heated, and my response it was certainly inappropriate. Uh, but then, uh, fortunately, my brother walked up to me and gently put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Craig, I'm going to need you to reel it back in a little bit, bud. I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Thanks. I re readily agreed with him. I knew I had went off course fast, but I was in the midst of it. And, and uh, anyhow, uh, I appreciated him and thanked him for helping to restore me to sanity. And then I was able to address the situation. I was able to, to act like an adult. Uh, I was able to communicate and then apologize for my inappropriate responses. It's moments like these when I look back at them and I know Jesus wasn't preaching the Sermon on the Mount to a bunch of healthy people. I know he was telling us how to live and, and be the kind of people we're called to be on restored heart and restored relationships or why Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Yeah. And at any time, I can, I can practice that and uh, things change fast. So up to this point, I've talked about Matthew 5:48 as the conclusion of the last section of chapter 5, as well as the whole chapter. But what I find interesting is that Matthew 5.48 is not the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. There's actually two more chapters. So, uh, for some reason, Matthew decided during the writing that, hey, Good place to stop before we move on to the next chapter. Now, I'm not real sure. Uh, there's probably a whole lot more research out there that may tell you why. I'm not real sure why that happened or why that was the choice or what the criteria was and you used to determine starting points and stopping points in these messages or in these chapters. 
But I would say since God was involved, since it was, you know, divinely inspired and God using the authors of the time to write the Bible, there was probably a really good reason that was the stopping point. And, I, and I'm okay with just saying, I don't know why God chose to do what God chose to do, but I look at my life and still go, I don't know why God chose to do what God chose to do, but it has to be perfect love. That's about the best I could sum it up. So I guess that'll be a topic for a whole nother discussion down the road. So when I got asked to preach, I was honored and excited. When the pastors told me what I was preaching on, I thought, really? I got a little prickly. My baggage and context was what I was focusing on. I was looking at what I viewed perfection to mean. The call to human perfection is not about becoming like God in a sense of being all-knowing, infallible, or omnipresent. That's not what it's talking about. We're still human. Our understanding is going to be limited. We're still subject to error. But the heart of this message is about love. It's about loving everyone like God does. Jesus is telling us to focus less on staying within the lines of the law and more on loving others, even if it's difficult. So I challenge you to lay down any obsession you may have with perfect actions or perfect sermons and pick up your call to love. Think of someone you may have difficulty loving and ask God to move your spirit in a way that reflects perfection as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity, for the life that you've given us, for this freedom of choice and freedom of will to choose you. Thank you for loving us in the midst of all of our struggles and challenges in life, whatever they may have been, whatever they've led up to this moment. We just ask that you move into our hearts and our minds and our spirits, and you help us connect with you in a way that moves in, in such a mighty way that it connects with those around us. I ask that you be with us throughout this week. I just pray that everyone in here gets to experience your love and gets to express your perfect love as we leave here. And we get an opportunity to try to be perfect as you are perfect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you would like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org slash give. Thanks again for listening.